0: We adore you, Lord Jesus Christ, here and in all your churches throughout the whole world. And we bless you, for by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, the church celebrates and honors the exaltation of the Holy Cross. And for the rest of the world, they must think we are quite strange Wearing crosses around our necks and on our fingers and uh, putting them up in our homes, because for to them it would seem that we're just looking at the murder of a man and somehow uh, glorifying that, but we're not glorifying the murder of Jesus, we're glorifying the love of Jesus that drew him to the cross, and we're glorifying the fact that by the holy cross. He has indeed redeemed the world. So it's through the cross that we are given new life. It's through the cross that heaven opens up the storehouse of its graces and floods the planet. It's through the cross that all of creation is given a rebirth. So that is something to honor and celebrate. I, uh, I would think that at the moment that Christ completed this work and excuse me, in the extraordinary form of the mass, the Latin mass, which um, was celebrated up till 19, I think 68, solely just that way in Latin. The words are consumata est. It is completed. It's finished. And when he did that, how all of creation would have felt something new. You know, we're told that the, uh, there was an earthquake, that the temple uh, was shaken, and the uh, veil in the inner chamber was ripped in half from top to bottom, top to bottom, meaning it was ripped from heaven to earth. And that means that we are not anymore separated from access to God, that because of Jesus Christ, because of the word becoming flesh, uh, that we now have access to the Holy Trinity directly. And that was something completely new that was lost in the garden by Adam and Eve and restored by Jesus Christ and by him coming into the world through his mother, Mary. Mary had a very active role in this uh, redemption because she brought him to us. And so uh, there's much talk over the last decades about giving her the title redemptrix or mediatrix, uh, of all, of all graces uh, through the redeeming of the world by Jesus Christ, her son. That hasn't happened yet, but I think it will. At some point people will recognize, uh, that not by her own merits, but by the graces she received from the Lord, has she been given such great power and, and, uh, a a unique place in salvation history. Surely we can acknowledge that. So anyway, how did this all begin? Well, on September 13th, in the year 335, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is that great uh, site in uh, Jerusalem, uh, this church was dedicated. And it it sits over the place uh, where the... uh, Crucifixion occurred. The following day, on September 14th, meaning today, the cross that uh, Empress Helena, so who is Helena? We'll get to that in a minute, uh, had discovered on September 14th in the year 320, so 15 years earlier, was venerated in a solemn ceremony. And so that's why this is the day we celebrate this. Now, let me now switch gears a little and talk about St. Helena. Or St. Helen. Uh, She was a woman of very humble means. And she married uh, a Roman officer who would become the future Roman emperor. And they would have a son. And their son was be called Constantine. And he became the holy Roman emperor. Uh, And it was at that point where uh, she was kind of, you know, she's the queen mother. Uh, And then she had a great love for, she converted when her son brought Christianity, or made Christianity the religion of the kingdom. And uh, so she converted late in life. Uh, Her son legalized Christianity, because it was outlawed before this, in the year 313. And she was very fervent in spreading the faith And using her royal position and her influence to build churches for the worship of God across the whole empire. Now, listen to this. When she was in her 80s, she made a decision that would transform her life. So under her son Constantine's orders, she organized a small group to travel to the Holy Land to find the actual cross on which Jesus hung and died. And so she knew that this undiscovered relic was the foundation and the life-giving heart of the incarnational christian faith she knew this and according to our tradition she first received the inspiration to go there in a dream what she would call a holy dream and she followed that inspiration remember saint joseph received from what we know in the scriptures most of his communications from heaven were came through dreams, at least the most critical ones we know of. Uh, so this would not be something that was entirely uncommon, and she would know the story of Joseph. Now, at this time, pagan temples were built on top of uh, many of the holy places of Jesus' life, and this would prevent the Christians from worshipping at these places. So St. Helen learned through questioning local Christian and Jewish leaders that the cross was believed to be buried underneath the spot where the temple of Venus stood. Imagine that the pagan temple of Venus. So St. Helen then assisted the church in having the pagan temple demolished and carefully excavated. And there she discovered Jesus's tomb. Of course, Jesus wouldn't be there. He rose and ascended to heaven. So this is the place we now call the Holy Sepulcher. But there were three crosses uh, there, not just one, because remember, there were the two thieves that were hung on crosses on each side of Jesus. There was also a board with Pilate's inscription. Uh, There were also the nails, which had pierced Jesus' body. So you can imagine the excitement when they found all this. Uh, But they still weren't sure which cross was the one that Jesus was crucified on. So the local bishop of this uh, diocese there, his name was Macarius. He's now a saint. Macarius had all three crosses uh, dug up and taken out. And he took each cross and touched it to the corpse of a man who had just died, as well as to the body of a woman who had an incurable illness. And when one of the crosses brought the dead man to life and instantly cured the sick woman, they knew they had discovered that this was indeed the cross of Jesus Christ. That was in the year 326 A.D. (coughs) So now they have the cross. (coughs) Excuse me. So the the cross was then uh, taken to Constantine. Uh, The cross was elevated and celebrated. And Christians came from all over the empire to, to venerate the cross. And this is not unlike what we do on Good Friday. On Good Friday, we have the veneration of the Holy Cross in all the churches around the world. And this event is commemorated each year on this day, the, the feast or the triumph or the exaltation of the Holy Cross. Now, St. Helen, you know, being a good and holy woman, she didn't hoard the cross and keep it to herself she sent pieces of the cross back to rome and to constantinople and to many places so that the true cross of jesus christ could be venerated in many parts of the kingdom and she had a large very large church built to mark the site of the actual location of jesus's crucifixion burial and resurrection and today we call that the church of the holy sepulcher i've been there it's not my favorite church to be honest um when i was there it, it just seemed so chaotic uh there's i think seven different religions that control the church it's not just the roman catholics and they you know to put it nicely they don't all get along and uh they you know as you walk through the, the parts of the church you're you're going from one uh controlling religion to another, religion to another. And they're all doing different things at the same time. Some are chanting, some are praying, the office, some are, and it's, you just, there's no peace. There's no peace. I found no peace at all while I was there. And I was actually pushed. You have to go down into this little tunnel to get to the actual site of where the cross stood. And I was literally pushed in and pushed out. Uh, and I found the whole thing. little bit off-putting and that's you know no slight to Jesus it's you know it's the people that are running the place that make it that way certainly you could conduct uh, the way the cross is venerated in a manner that would be more reverent and more uh, holy but for some reason it's not done or at least it wasn't when I was there but I'm not saying don't go if you have the inspiration to go and 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 walk the Via Dolorosa, the Way of the Cross, through the streets where Jesus did. Uh, that's a very good and edifying thing to do, but don't be surprised if you find the, the place a little a little uh, noisy and irreverent. I Just on a side note, my favorite place in all of the whole trip, well, there was a couple. The Dead Sea was fascinating. It was just so beautiful, but so toxic. Um, as you're about to go into the water, the, the guide said, now, do not put your head under the water because it could blind you. The water could blind you, and if you drink it, it could kill you. I thought, why are we doing this? This doesn't seem like a safe thing to be doing. He said, well, you're going to naturally float, so as long as you don't force yourself to put your head in the water, you'll be fine. Somebody said, okay, I guess we can do this, and I did, but um, it's amazing to see something so beautiful that could be so deadly. The other place I loved was the, um, the Mount of the Beatitudes. It's absolutely stunning. It's a, uh, very lush green, uh, lawn that goes up the side of this, this, it's not quite a mountain, a hill lined with palm trees and it's beautifully maintained and really stunning. And that we celebrated mass outdoors there. And that was quite, um, an experience. So, uh. Back to the cross. Okay. Uh, while in Jerusalem, St. Helen, she didn't just visit this one place. She visited many of the holy places of Jesus' life, and she built many churches over their locations. This woman was a, a, a one-woman uh, construction crew, and she just would go through Jerusalem marking sites and having her son send the money, the supplies, and the labor to build these churches. And, and you know, some of them today are still there, at least the foundations She went to Bethlehem uh, and built the Church of the Nativity. She went to the Mount of Olives. Uh, She uh, built the Church of uh, the Our Father. She built uh, many, many, many churches. And had she not done this, the memory of those sacred sites would have been lost after a few generations. Because, as I said, they were covered with pagan temples and no one would have realized where the places would have been. The tradition of our church also holds that uh, when Empress Helen gathered earth from the site of Jesus's crucifixion where his blood was spilled, and spread it over the ground in Rome, where the Vatican Gardens now exist, in order to unite the blood of Christ with the blood of the martyrs shed in Rome, that uh, miracles occurred in the as she uh, in the place where she did this she had a great, great great love for Jesus but also for his cross. And uh, she teaches us that when we have a true love for Christ, then it must culminate <clears throat> in a desire for his cross. And that may sound strange, but that's that's really the way she lived her life after her conversion. And this is what Jesus told us from his very lips. You know, if you're going to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross daily and follow me. So this day this feast this should encourage us to desire to embrace the life-giving cross as jesus did because we know that through the crosses victory over sin and death has been won through his cross but also when we unite our crosses to his cross and that brings me to uh, the next thing i want to talk about is uh how our crosses should be embraced in our own lives Well, when I think of crosses, the first person after Jesus and Mary that I think of is St. Paul, because St. Paul was one of the most persecuted and uh, beaten up saints we have throughout the history of the church. And he was a man who knew the cross had power. So he used his trials and his tribulations, his crosses, you could say, to be the fuel that would provide the grace to start up all these churches that he was starting in ephesus and corinth and all these places let's listen to what he said to the romans saint paul said now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of god and co-heirs with christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory so what he's saying this is holy scripture is it is To the degree that we share in his sufferings, that we will share in his glory. Uh, There is no cross. If there is no cross, there will be no crown. No pain, no gain. It's the same principle. Uh, And, you know, the good news is nobody has to go looking for crosses. They come to you uh, naturally or supernaturally. This is what Pope John Paul II, who is now a saint, said in his apostolic letter, Uh, on the Salvipici Dolores Christ does not explain in the abstract the reasons for suffering but before all He says follow me come take part through your suffering in this work of saving the world a salvation achieved through my suffering through my cross gradually as the individual takes up his cross spiritually uniting himself to the cross of Christ The salvific meaning of suffering is revealed before him. This Mm -hmm. is another man who knew suffering. You know, in the end of his life, those last few years, he was so debilitated by the Parkinson's uh, that he could barely move, and yet it didn't stop him. He just wanted to display to the world what uh, redemptive suffering looked like, and he did it so well. Mm -hmm. The catechism of the Catholic Church also teaches us and in paragraph 2010, it says, Since the initiative belongs to God in the order of grace, no one can merit the initial grace of forgiveness and justification at the beginning of conversion. Moved by the Holy Spirit and by charity, we can then merit for ourselves and for others the grace is needed for our sanctification, for the increase of grace and charity, and for the attainment of eternal life. Even temporal goods like health and friendship can be merited in accordance with God's wisdom. These graces and goods are the object of Christian prayer. Prayer attends to the grace we need for meritorious actions. Now, in St. Paul, we see a clear biblical basis for the Catholic doctrine of meriting good for others with specific reference to the concept or doctrine of redemptive suffering. There's two striking passages that, that really reveal this, and The first, when he's speaking to the Philippians, he discusses the possibility of offering his life as an oblation for the community. This is what he says. And if my lifeblood is, so to speak, to be poured out over your faith, which I am offering up to God as a sacrifice, that is, if I am to die for you, even then I will be glad and will share my joy with each of you. For you should be happy about this, too, and rejoice with me. For having this privilege of dying for you. Paul never did anything halfway. He always goes to the max. Um, The second time he really emphasizes this point is when he's speaking to the Colossians and in uh, the first chapter verse 24 he says this but part of my work is to suffer for you and I am glad for I am helping to finish up the remainder of Christ's sufferings for his body the church. Well, there you have it. So what does this mean for you and for me? This means very clearly that we must take the sufferings of our life and unite them back to Jesus's cross and say to him, Lord, I accept this cross and I unite it to your cross. And I ask that you would convert this suffering to grace to go rescue souls. There's nothing greater we can do than to rescue souls that are perishing. There's nothing greater we can do than apply the, the, uh, all the gifts, graces, and blessings that poured out from the cross further down the road into the people we know in our life, you know, and even those we don't know. We can do this. And I would say there's nothing worse than wasted suffering because some people might think, well, I don't want to do this because it's going to bring me more suffering. No, 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 no. The suffering comes whether you like it or not. What you do with it remains up to you. You know, God brought you into this world without your consent. But he's not going to bring you into heaven without your consent. You're going to have to consent and you're going to have to work with him. And it's in our working with him. It's in our asking him to use us to help redeem the world. We have no power to do this on our own. It always comes from him, from the cross. The head of the, he's the head of the body that is the church. And the church is suffering right now. There's strange teachings happening i would even say heresies that are out there there's many people who don't know the truth about the purpose of life the the prosperity gospel is being spread all over the place by you know pastors that think it's okay to just uh Have your best life and avoid suffering at all costs. That is not the way Jesus lived his life. It's not the way Mary lived her life. And I'm sure it's not the way Joseph lived his life either. We have to be a people who are picking up our crosses and following Jesus daily, daily. You know, these promoters of the prosperity gospel, if you don't know what that is, it means, you know, there's people like Joel Osteen who say, you know, Uh, If you just give your life to Jesus, he's going to pour out all the riches of the world on you. And it would seem he did that for Joel. I think Joel was in a house that's about $20 million. Jesus didn't live like that. So the promoters of this prosperity gospel, they have very little to say during Holy Week. Because it really nullifies that teaching. Jesus didn't do anything wrong his whole life. Jesus was perfect Jesus was divine, and he was murdered in a, the most salacious way on a cross, beaten, spit upon, mocked. Where's the prosperity, Joel? I don't see it. Well, in reality, it was very prosperous, but not in the way that he promotes it. It was prosperous for all of us that we would be restored to the Father. Uh, The theology of the cross is not the strong suit of the prosperity gospel. You know, especially when applied not only to Jesus, but to mere human beings who are called to follow in our our Savior's footsteps. When profound suffering comes into your life, if you're following the prosperity gospel, what can you say? Except, I guess I didn't do it right. What's completely wrong? You know, the most holy people in the world suffered and they were living perfect lives. (coughs) When we think of um, some of the saints, St. Bernadette, our lady said to her very clearly, uh, you will have no um, pleasure in this life. And she had a very painful ailment, uh, most of her adult life. And then she died at a pretty young age. So uh, as I mentioned, John Paul too, very much suffering and he was such a good saint. Many suffered uh, loss of their mothers in childhood. That's a cross. Uh, John Paul II was one. Ceres of Lassu was another. Teresa of Avila. Who else? Philip Neri. Uh, saint Gemma Galgani. Uh, Andre Bessette. There's so many. You know, that's a horrible cross for a child. Uh, Catherine Laboree was another one. Uh, you know, when she was nine... She put her arms around the statue of a, uh, the Blessed Mother, and she told her that she would be her mother. John Paul II did the same thing. Uh, he didn't hug a statue. He he spoke to Our Lady and said, "Now you will be my mother, and uh, God will be my father." And it's interesting that you know just uh, 15 years after she did that, uh, Mary appeared to her at the Sisters of Charity Motherhouse uh, in Paris on Rue de Bac. And presented her with the miraculous medal, as any good mother would do. You know, she rewarded her so great for her trust in Mary being her mother. And that's the other blessing of the cross. When you pick up your cross, guess who stands at the foot of it? The Blessed Virgin Mary. She's there with all our crosses. And she waits for us to pick them up and pick them up with joy, with delightment. She takes to light when we pick up our crosses with joy, because we know the power that will flow from that cross. And we know that she has people that are waiting for graces that she can now capture from our crosses and apply them to those people waiting to be converted, waiting to be pulled out of sinful lifestyles, waiting for people to come back to Jesus. That's just, that's why we should be so happy today as we exalt the cross, because there's so much power flowing out into the world through Jesus' cross and us uniting our crosses to his cross. That's a good place to stop. May the Lord bless you and keep you today. And may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Father Dan, signing off.